Zenith Podcast. I am your host, Caesar, and I'm here with a very special guest, Flor Davila. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's currently focused in child abuse. And she also is my aunt, but the first part is the more, is the more uh, important part of this conversation. Hello, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Happy to be here. I really appreciate it. So just to start off, I never really heard your story just because it's, it's kind of interesting it's just the whole family dynamic of like sometimes you f- you forget these people have lives you know you've always just been an aunt but never really a, a human being mm-hmm. really so you came here uh, how old were you when you came here my parents immigrated when i was about three three years old yes wow yeah i, I my dad was 14 huh yeah i think he was like 12 12, 12 or 13 wow <clears throat> so how how was your like like how did you end up where you're at right now like when like what made you become a therapist like what like what led you in life to do this uh it started around high school when i was contemplating what i wanted to do in college because that's when we apply for you know uh to go into your bachelor's degree so in college in high school i was already contemplating well, what do i want to do um, I think my family influenced it a lot, just being supportive and um, just guiding me to go to college. Uh, I also prayed about it, so God has always been a guidance for me regarding my career, my personal life, things like that. So in high school, I decided, hmm, psychology, that interests me. And so then I applied for a BA in psychology. And you're a first gen, right? Like you and yes. like your brothers and uncles? Yes. Yeah, how was that? That was difficult coming from a Latino family because my dad didn't want me to go live on campus. He felt that maybe it's better if I commute, me being a Latina, uh, you know, female, the youngest daughter. He didn't really understand how important it was for me to go to campus. I went to UC Irvine. It wasn't closed. That would be a really long commute. It's like a 45 minute to 50 minute, right? At least without traffic, Um, you know, living in La Puente. Uh, So he uh, was giving me a hard time, but my brothers really helped in explaining to my dad the importance of an education. And with their help, they really supported me and helped my parents understand. So did you dorm in your first year? I did not. I I lived uh, close to campus. Oh, okay. uh, the apartments nearby, but I did not live in the dorms. Okay, so Irvine, how was that for you? Uh, going to Irvine, it was definitely interesting experience. Uh, being a minority, uh, you know, I realized there that there weren't a lot of Latinos, um, and so sometimes when I would see Latinos, we would make friends just because we would see each other. Um, that was interesting, but I learned a lot. Met so many different people with different cultures, beliefs, and it really opened me up to accepting a lot of other things that otherwise I wouldn't know. That's really good. It's really important. And when it came to, like, psychology, was there, like, an emphasis that you studied when you were in Irvine? What I started to do is take all the um, basic education classes, and because I knew I wanted to work with children, even as a 
gosh, my second year, I started working as a, a teacher's assistant in a private um, early education, like private class in school. So oh, it was wow. the professor's children, the um, TA's children that would go to that little private uh, school. And that's where I volunteered. That's where I started getting my hours just of experience in working with children and getting taught by those teachers who were PhDs and working with child psychology. That already started my, they started teaching me so much already. That's really good. And do you think you being the youngest and like the only female, it kind of led you to this like concentration to want to focus on children, children, since you were probably seen like as a child longer than like your other and your brothers? Um, I don't, I don't know what it was. I just knew I liked psychology in general and just the opportunities open for me really easily and then focusing on children. Okay. So I assume you graduated from Irvine? Yes. I went to Irvine, got my uh, bachelor's degree there. From there, I went to Cal State Fullerton to get my master's, and I have my master's in uh, marriage and family therapy. Then after uh, your master's, then you need to get your hours of experience, face-to-face -face time with patients, and that is about 3,000 hours from the Board of Behavioral Sciences, and that is equivalent to about two years of full-time work. Were you getting paid at this time? Yes. As an intern, if you graduate from your master's degree, as an intern, you already start getting paid. Oh, well, that's good. Thankfully, they paid you. And yes. um, with this company that you were with for two years, did you end up like staying there for a bit? Or once you got your hours, like, did you start like searching for other opportunities? Once I got my hours, I started searching for other opportunities. It was a great first job, but um, I also wanted to continue learning. And so I applied for another job that offered me more money. Okay. I mean, yeah, that helps. More money helps. Yes, that helped. Yeah. So um, other than your degrees in school, is there anything else that you had to do to um, become a licensed therapist? Other than just the certificates themselves from getting the bachelor's, getting the master's, aside from that is really just all of the hours of experience. You have to do so many hours in your graduate uh, school. I volunteered at a domestic violence shelter, um, and so I was helping, leading groups, leading individual um, sessions with adult patients. So I did a lot of that in my graduate school. Then after graduate school, obviously, you get your hours, so a lot of training. So how old, like, um, how old were you when you actually started doing what you like, wanted to do? About 22. 22. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, like, sounds like you just, you, you did a very um, straight path of like four years of. Well, 20, you know, you know what? I'm wrong. 20, more like 24. 24? Yeah. That's when I really started to hone in on the therapeutic skills. At 22, I just started getting so much practice. That's, that's really good, especially coming here as an immigrant, you know, to be able to have this opportunity. And by 24, like, to already be doing what you want to do as a career. And you've been doing this for the past, what, like 15 years almost? Yes. That is crazy. And, like, how do you feel about that? And, like, it's already, been, like, it's already been that much time. I feel blessed to be able to do that. I love my job. I love helping the community. I love helping with children. Um, I love helping kids just be safe. That's my number one priority in what I do. And it's very fulfilling. 
So when I look back, I always think, thank God that he led me the right way in me having a career that I love so much. Because people always say, you know, if you love what you do, um, it doesn't feel like work so much. Yeah. Um, obviously, it does feel like work because there are some very intense cases that I have. But overall, it's just so um, something that I enjoy. And it brings a lot of just uh, thoughts of being grateful. That's really good. Um, and like when it comes to like child, especially because you're, you're focusing on child abuse, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, can you talk about like the importance of that? Like, like as you, as all the years and the experience that you had, like why is it so important to focus on mental health at such a young age? Um, it's important to focus on mental health at all ages because unfortunately abuse happens at all ages. I see children that are infants that are literally three days old all the way up to 21 because I work at a children's clinic for now. I'm able to see any human being of any age, but um, that's why I feel it's so important because it really affects anybody and everybody. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's it's true and it's really powerful like especially when it comes to children it's really good to like start young as well because it allows them to process um what would end up becoming long-term effects of trauma absolutely i think that anything that you go through in your childhood affects your teenage years that then affects your early adulthood that then affects your decisions as an adult not only your decisions the relationships that you choose to be a part of, that you choose not to be a part of, all of that takes place. And sometimes people don't even see that happening because they're not aware of their patterns or their unconscious. Yeah, like especially when it comes to being unaware of patterns, it also kind of leads to like that's how like that's how like it becomes tricky because there's kind of like an indirect correlation between what you experience, your trauma, and unable to process it, and then with what, how it's affecting you today. Absolutely. There's a lot of people um, that, for example, if they were abused when they were five years old, and then in their adult life, they have a child that is five years old, and then they don't realize why they are being so cautious around their five-year-old and don't let them go out or go to play dates or do this or do that. And it's because of their inner fears of having their child possibly get hurt like they did. Okay. But if you don't have that awareness, you act without even thinking about it. You just do. And um, breaking it down, what would you say is, uh, is like, what is child abuse actually? Like what, like, what would you describe that as? Pretty much what child abuse is, is doing something or failing to do something that results in harm to a child or that puts a child at risk. Uh, it can be physical, sexual, emotional. It can also be neglect. Um, neglect is, for example, not providing a child's needs. Um, that's a form of abuse. And most abuse, um, most children who are abused uh, have a lot of emotional abuse and, and more than physical harm. So the emotional abuse is, is very important to think about as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially that, like, because it is not physical, there's no like physical scar that they can see that's been affecting them. Yes, absolutely. It's not something you could see, but you can definitely feel. You remember your trauma. Uh, it doesn't even have to be something severe, 
but our thoughts, our unconscious is always there with us and it forms us. Wow. And like, okay, so when it comes to like child abuse and like, obviously you've had so much experience with it. Are there any kind of like misconceptions that people don't really understand the, like, or like think like things that people don't understand the importance of when it comes to like child abuse? Yeah, I think a lot of times also um, in the Latino culture, uh, sometimes mental health, which is tied to possibly a part, which is the child abuse, um, is looked down upon. Uh, sometimes it's in Latino culture, sometimes it's best not to talk about it. Um, they feel that sometimes mental health is, is seen as a sign of a weakness. Like if you're at a family gathering and you know that, you know, this one particular relative or friend is going to therapy, um, oh, what, what's wrong with him? Or what, what did she do that she has to go there? You know, it's not something that's accepted easily. Um, and I think that uh, people do prefer in Latino culture sometimes, not all, to keep their personal issues very quiet and not get the mental health services as a support system. Yeah, I mean, like, even, like, before taking the action of going to therapy, like, the actual effects of mental health, such as anxiety and depression, sometimes, um, especially in Latino culture, they don't understand that it's not really, like, a state of It's not really, like, oh, it's not, your, your, it's not that you're strong, but it's a chemical imbalance in your brain that makes you behave and feel this way. Yeah, and sometimes... People will just say, oh, son nervios. That's what it is. They're and, nervous. Yeah. Uh, or they're, um, oh, es está loco. Oh, they're crazy. It's not that they're crazy. What if that person has schizophrenia? And those are some of the actions that other people are seeing. And the lack of education and information then unfortunately leads some people to not get the right help. Yeah, and I mean that's that's how like the long term effects happen, you know, because they're not given the opportunity or resources to look at that. Um, do you think like when it comes to our family, like like how do you think mental health was is taken with us? Personally, at least for me, um, me going into this field, my family was very supportive of it. Uh, they never looked down upon mental health or told me, what, what are you doing with that? What, what kind of work are you going to do? They were very supportive of my field. My parents, I think they're old school. And so um, they didn't understand the benefits of mental health while they were raising us. But me now being in my career and them learning so much about what I do, I think that they are both huge advocates, especially my mom, for mental health because she says it is something that's helpful. It is something that's positive and um, it's not to be looked down upon. If anything, there's so many benefits from it. Oh yeah, totally. Um, that kind of reminds me of like the conversation we had with our family this past, um, these past holidays when I uh, mentioned how everyone can benefit from therapy. Yes. Yeah. And, um, I forgot like who it was, but like someone was kind of like, trying to downplay it, and then you came in and like supported my statement specifically with the words that I used. You know, because uh, I'm not saying everyone needs therapy. I'm not saying everybody has to take therapy, but everybody can benefit from therapy. Everybody can benefit from therapy, and let me tell you why. That's because everybody is a human being, and as a human being, 
you have certain patterns, you have certain thoughts, you have certain things that you do the way you do. There's certain things that hurt you. There's certain things that don't hurt you. There's certain things you're comfortable talking about, other things you're not. Um, everybody is different and unique. And everybody has their own struggles at the end of the day. And therapy is just a form of support with some of those struggles that you really have just a really difficult time with. And you don't have to carry the burden on your own. We're here to help. And you don't have to do all that, uh, you know, and not talk to anybody about it. Yeah. I mean, like, also when it comes to therapy, is there a process that, like, as a therapist, because um, something that I noticed that a lot of people kind of, uh, there's a misconception that, like, oh, I'm venting to my friend and that's therapy to me. Like, is there, are there layers to therapy? Absolutely. I think one of the important things about therapy is that as a therapist, we are objective. That means that I'm not a friend of yours. I'm not a relative of yours. So I'm able to really have an, a blank slate into getting to know who you are. And you can come to therapy and then we are uh, confidential. So things that you tell us, we won't tell other people unless somebody's in danger, suicidal, homicidal ideation, that we cannot keep confidential because of our ethics law. And at the end of the day, we want everybody to be safe. But in general, we try to keep our clients' confidentiality. And um, that's how we can build the rapport, build the relationship to then look at how we can help you specifically. Over time, we build those relationships to then look at your conscious, unconscious, your patterns, what brought you in, what's bothering you, so that we could look at those and try to break those patterns that don't make you happy and get appropriate coping mechanisms to help you. Okay, and that's, that's really interesting. When it comes to, like, since you are objective, how, like, how does that, um, like, what, what's your process when it comes to finding those patterns and telling these people about them? Uh, it takes time. Uh, that's part of the sessions and listening, really listening, not only to the words, but to the patterns and to the feelings behind certain situations that each human might have and uh, catching those patterns over time and then bringing those patterns to the client, to the patient and the patient having that self-awareness. The self-awareness is key because with that self-awareness, you're able to learn about yourself, which then can lead you to make changes for yourself. I mean, yeah, that's exactly why everyone can benefit from that because it just a therapy allows you to just be more self-aware, you know? Absolutely. And being having that self-awareness, I mean, who doesn't want to take care of themselves the best way, the best way they can? Everybody. Yeah. I want to take care of myself. I don't want something that I do to continue to hurt me over and over. And you're really helping yourself in that way. And everybody needs that. That's, that's I like that. I, I really do. And um, it's really cool that kind of um, how how much you like you are you obviously are like since you this is your career this is something that you're doing for your life you are like 100 percent helping people and affecting people when it comes to that but when it comes to you is there like um is there a toll of like of therapists you know like when it comes to like how much that they hear and like what goes through absolutely job? that um is a very important point that you bring up and that's something that we get taught very early on in graduate school in graduate school, part of our hours, part of our classes 
is having those awesome teachers that help us through that and help us help us take care of ourselves throughout our career. So in graduate school, you have to have, and afterwards, you have to have individual supervision. So individual supervision is, um, for example, I'm a clinical supervisor at the job that I currently have. And I, ha I supervise therapists. The therapists meet with me one hour a week, regardless of whether you're an intern, whether you're licensed or unlicensed. You always have your hour of supervision so that you can talk about those difficult cases that you had. So you could kind of like think about it like if you're dumping them out, like literally throwing it up, throwing it outside of your body. That's one of the ways that we were taught to do that continuously so that we don't carry those cases on our own. Wow, that's, uh, that's really good. And I mean, the fact that you're a supervisor means that it's not just you dumping, but you're getting dumped on a lot, you know? Like, yes. how is that? Um, the, it takes a toll, absolutely, and that's why I'm very conscious of my own mental health. What I mean by that is, on a day-to-day, -day, with the difficult cases that I see, I'm not going to read a lot of patients who I'm, like, the, the history or the referral that I'm not going to see. I'm only going to read that referral by detail on the patients that I am going to see because I'm only going to be able to contain so much. And personally, um, I don't watch the news. I know that with everything going on right now in our world, in our society, the news has been huge. I've been very conscious about what I choose to watch and what I don't because I'm already at a capacity with the kind of work that I do. I listen to sad stories a lot and I don't need more of that when I come home. When I come home, this is my safe space to relax and to just take care of me. So I definitely don't watch the news uh, often. I choose very wisely when I do want to listen to. And another thing that I do personally is I also exercise. So from work, not now because we're working from home, but I used to always go do a class, a boot camp class, and that was my de-stressor and transition to then come home. So you have to be very self-aware and practice that daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, in order to be okay with the type of work that we do. That is really good. Like the fact that um, the fact that you practice that because I feel like so as a non-therapist, though, just kind of thinking of since this is your job, there might there's a chance that you can be desensitized, right? Absolutely. I mean, I have to uh, catch myself uh, trying not to be desensitized because I want to be present for each one of my patients. I see so many, and I've seen so many throughout the years that I can absolutely catch myself being desensitized. Okay, what's going on with this one? And okay, this and this and this. And I work on that daily. I sometimes even talk to God throughout my day at work. And I say, God, please help me take a step back, take a couple deep breaths before I go into this session so I could be present. Wow. That's, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, I, well, that's something I didn't know. You know, that is that's crazy. Um, Especially for those difficult cases. And what I mean by difficult, um, no, no child's case is not difficult. We want every adult, every being to be safe. But what I mean is like those difficult cases that come out in the news. Um, or I don't know if you remember, I can't think it off the top of my head, that one Netflix special that came out. Oh, like, like about a month ago, right? 
Mm-hmm. Of the it was child? actually a while back. Oh yeah. About that child that was a five-year-old, and he uh, actually passed away from um, child abuse yeah, from his parents. Nothing happened, right? Yes, nothing happened. I forget the name of the um, Netflix um, movie right now, off the top of my head, but it was about the five-year-old child, male. And uh, his parents, his mom and mom's boyfriend were the ones that uh, physically abused him to the point of death. This was a case that was open with DCFS. And that's the Department of Children and Family Services. And my uh, company, the one that I work for, is called the Violence Intervention Program. We're based in, in downtown L.A. And my CEO, Dr. Astrid Hager, was actually interviewed in that Netflix documentary. Really? At the very end. And she just discussed how the importance of listening to children is for them, for us to try to help them be safe. Yeah, I mean, like, something that, um, obviously, I do not have any children, but growing up, um, I want to be mindful of this for the possibility of having children is the, it, it's, it's, it's too validate their feelings, and it's kind of difficult because as they're growing up too, it's also kind of hard because these um, children aren't really sometimes don't really think rationally or logically, which is part of like part of the issue of why things aren't really done because they're not really taken seriously because of that. Because the children. Yeah, like because, like sometimes, like, especially like as they're younger, they don't really understand um, logic or reasoning. Absolutely, they sometimes don't know right from wrong. Yeah, and. Like when it comes to that, is there any advice that you could give to parents like on what are some things that they can be mindful of to help prevent this? Uh, with any child, what I always encourage and I've learned in working with children is um, don't don't baby talk with them. Uh, talk to them about you know good touches versus bad touches. Talk to them about that at age four, five, six, um, so that they could have a safety plan in place of, oh, um, do you know what good touches are? Do you know what bad touches are? And if they don't, then you explain it age appropriately. And you're not going to give them any detail that they don't need to know. They're children. But at least have that conversation so that the children, when and if ever presented in a situation that makes them feel uncomfortable, they know, hey, I have talked about this, and this is making me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to tell somebody. And, like, when it comes to good touches and bad touches, are you talking about, like, physical body? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's really uh, that's really good. And I can imagine those conversations being very awkward, you know, like, for the parent to give. And when it comes to, like, touches and just sex in general, how do you feel about the communication between parents and children when it comes to sex. Like, like, what age do you feel might be, like, a good time or appropriate time to kind of um, help them understand what is sex? That would be more like in the preteen years, you know? I'm, when I was talking about good touches versus bad touches, I'm talking about those, um, like, elementary, preschool age. Adolescents. Absolutely. No, like... Five, oh, okay, four-year-olds. Okay. Okay. That's the good touches versus bad touches. Then towards... The preteen, 12, 13, that's when you want to talk to them about what sex is and, you know, what happens to our bodies when we develop. And, absolutely, you know, obviously in high school, then you can have more of a, uh, of a deeper conversation because it's important to keep it age appropriately so that we don't lose the child or confuse them. 
um, depending their age. Yeah, I mean, age appropriately, definitely. I could imagine that being a big, a big thing when it comes to like also just not overwhelming them. You know, when it comes to yes, teaching about keeping this, keeping it very basic. Um, don't use a lot of words where you're going to lose them because <laughs> you will lose them very quick. Yeah. Um, so just keeping very basic and uh, just letting them know what's okay and what's not okay. And I think, again, we're, I think this hits back to the Latino culture of being comfortable about talking things or not talking about things. And uh, some parents don't feel comfortable talking about these things, so it's never brought up. My parents never talked to me about sex. My parents never talked to me about good touches or bad touches and what to do if that were ever to happen to me. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah well, um, that's something that I learned in my communication classes. Ask kind of there's uh i kind of briefly mentioned this in, in another episode of a podcast where i talk about power in in families and how power there's kind of two different aspects there's a conversational and there's conformity conformity has to do with kind of like dispensing the power you know like a, a parent um if if a family's if someone if a family in power has high conformity that means that they are like whatever i say goes you know the parent has the final say and if they're low in conformity, they don't really care what like what goes on. Like you could do whatever you want. And then conversation has to do with the amount of communication that's happening in between that. You know, kind of how, like making sure that there there's an understanding. So some families are high in conversational where they do talk about these things, and talking about these things allows the people to be more aware and more comfortable with talking about more sensitive topics. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, just having those conversations, regardless of what they are. Um, opens up, you know, the platform for people to then discuss more difficult topics. Yeah, but it's a process, you know, and like that's something that people need to understand is that you can't just go from talking about, oh yeah, how's your day going to like, hey, like let's sit down and talk about sex and rape, you know, like yeah. it has to be a process that people need to understand. And uh, when it comes to like conformity and power of like whatever I say goes, it's what's interesting is that what I learned is um, there's there's warm and there's cold conformity so cold conformity is the more aggressive and my way goes my way goes yeah so like oh like you're you have a you, you can't leave the how you can you have to be back by 9 p.m you know you have mm-hmm. to be asleep lights off phone off by 11 p.m but warm conformity is like hey like let's have dinner together you know hey let's do this together like it's, it's kind of keeping like a form of unity you know to the family and keeping connections and Cold conformity usually leads to resentment in families, mm-hmm. while warm conformity leads to connections and deeper, like a deeper relationship, you know, and Absolutely. a more satisfying relationship. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And um, what's interesting is that, like, when it comes to communication, um, what I like about it is that the different lenses that it borrows, it goes from psychology to sociology to economics to statistics to philosophy, you know, mm-hmm. and my personal favorite one is psychology because that has to do with it. It really helps kind of understand why people do what we do. You know. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, I remember when I was in my bachelor's, uh, learning so much about psychology. Some of the of the um, the testing that was done back in the day that sometimes isn't allowed now. Some of the research projects and how people react. To situations is just uh, mind-boggling sometimes. There was this study. It, her name was Kitty Delavu. Um, I don't know if I'm getting the name right. Long story short, it was about 
this lady that was walking down the street and she was next to a huge apartment complex and uh, she was running because somebody was uh, going running after her and she felt she was going to get attacked. Long story short, she was attacked and people in the apartment complex saw through their windows and multiple people opened, um, turned on their lights. However, no one called the cops. And the reason for that is because everybody thought somebody else had done it. It's like the bystander effect, right? Isn't that what it's called? I don't know. But I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, they're like, oh, someone else is going to do it. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sorry, bystander. That's yeah. what you said. Yes. Yeah, and so uh, it was unfortunate because nobody called. Um, and that's psychology and that's human beings. And who will react to what or when will people stand up for certain situations? If they see everybody else doing something, most likely they're going to do the same. And it takes that one individual to react differently in order to encourage the others to react differently. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is so true. And it's really powerful because uh, there's this one TED Talk. Oh, my God, I forgot the TED Talk name. But it has to do with the way um, when it comes to um, abuse and especially with women, mm-hmm. how, they, how we need to start focusing on who's doing it as to what has happened. We need to focus more on the on the perpetrator that rather than the victim, mm-hmm. you know, and when it comes to that, it has to, um, the, this TED talk talked about how the importance is to not fall under the bystander effect and to do something, to raise action, to raise awareness, to confront, you know? Yes. That's what counts. That's what's important. And that's how you'll make a change. And that goes back to a little bit of therapy in conforming to just your ways. If you're unhappy with something, then you, you, Look at your patterns, you change them, you act, you react, you do something, and that's how you're going to have different results. The What is it, that one quote? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and trying to get a different result. Wow. That's, I didn't know that. That's a really good quote. That, that is true. Mm-hmm. That's totally true. Like, you can't, you have to be aware and you have to be mindful in order to, like, have change, you know? And um, when it comes to like what I'm, when it comes to what I'm learning when it com- with communication is that breaking it down with communication has to do with the way I th- like this is just me personally what I feel it is is the ability to put thoughts into words and actions and behaviors because everyone can everyone can react everyone can like have a reflex you know everyone can respond but not everyone's mindful. And it's thoughtful of what they are going to respond with, you know? Absolutely. Because I think it, a lot of people can have opinions. Will those opinions be helpful or not? We don't know. But like you say, to be mindful of what you're going to say prior to what you're going to say is huge in any relationship that you have. Whether it's a work relationship, a boyfriend and girlfriend, a husband and wife, a brother and sister, that covers all templates of those relationships yeah and i mean like when it comes to being mindful and like i I feel like some people might especially like when when it comes to just being um like socially like socially uh, awkward or anxious um and people might not be open to the idea of therapy is there any kind of advice that you could give them to help them practice to become more mindful um i think it's just being open to it. Let's say, for example, you don't really like the the idea of therapy, but you know that it would be helpful to talk to somebody outside. Um, Be open to it. 
go in. And just because you do go to this one therapist and uh, you didn't get a good feeling about it, that's okay. Go to a, a, you don't have to go to that therapist again. You could go to another therapist and see if you have a better relationship with that person. So when a client doesn't um, feel comfortable with me particularly, I don't take it personal because psychology is about human relationships. There are certain people that I feel comfortable talking to, and there are certain people that I don't feel comfortable talking to, even if I'm a person that's comfortable talking to a lot of people. Um, it's just personalities. And so um, if you don't like the therapist you went to, if that gave you a bad experience, don't knock everybody off because of that. Give somebody else a shot, and maybe you will find somebody that you are comfortable talking with. That's really good, yeah, because um, it's it's like therapy also has to do with the therapist. Absolutely. Like, as you said, you know, that just because it didn't work with one doesn't mean that it, it, it won't work with the other. And when it comes to that, when it comes to finding a therapist or... Like, what's the process to start that? Uh, usually what people do is, if you have insurance, then um, just like when you look for a doctor in your insurance card, you'll have like a 1-800 number in the back. There's a 1-800 number for information and sometimes even for direct mental health. So you call that number and you look for a provider within your network. You have to make sure that the that the doctor is within your network. If you go to somebody outside of your network, that means that you're going to have to pay out of pocket. And you don't want to pay out of pocket because that could get very expensive. So when you go to a doctor, you pay your copay. That's the same thing how it works for therapy. You choose your therapist, you take your insurance card, and you pay the copay. If you don't have insurance, then that's when you could look at sometimes um, on-campus uh, counselors. A lot of universities, Cal States, have counselors, and you could go there and get the therapy as well. And for those uh, circumstances, sometimes you don't need the insurance. Yeah, uh, yeah, I uh, I am aware of that when it comes to like universities. A couple of people has that. They have you know like therapists. They have counselors that you could talk to. Every single school has that. Thankfully, thankfully that. Mental health is starting to become more important, you know, only in the recent years. And that's something that it's sad because we're barely starting to do that, but it's also such a big step, you know. It's such a big step. And I think something so simple as what we're going through now as a society with COVID, you know, COVID has really affected a lot of people's mental health. We're all stressed with COVID. At one point or another, this has been a long process for all of us. Whether it's, uh, you know, a little bit of anxiety or, man, you have a lot of anxiety because we were so limited on socializing with other human beings, that affects all of us. And so mental health has definitely hit home, and it has for a long time, but whether or not people are talking about it is something different. Oh, yeah, totally. And, like, especially when it comes to COVID, which is so interesting is that, like, everyone is experiencing this as as a society, you know, as a as everyone is kind of like, this is like a long-term traumatic event that everyone is going through, but everyone's going through it differently. And this is something that we briefly mentioned. I do want to like just emphasize is it's like the importance of validating people's feelings. You know, when people think that their problems aren't big problems, yes, they are. Those problems, like everyone has their problems and those problems are theirs. You know, that's something that people need to understand. Like, you may not understand it, but that's because you're not living it. Yeah, I think, especially with social media, sometimes people uh, post 
the good things about our lives, you know, oh, you're hanging out or you're doing something silly. Um, That's great, but that's not necessarily life. Uh, Life is not not always fine and dandy and happy-go-lucky. Life has a lot of ups and downs, and life gets really hard for everybody, one way or another. And if you are going through something that's really hard, um, it's okay to talk about it with somebody, you know, especially somebody that you trust. And outside of that, of course, I encourage mental health to help. Yeah. Um, I mean, also like when it comes to mental health, something that I talked about um, before in another episode is like the importance of just emotional intelligence. And I'm not sure if you knew this, but like the term emotional intelligence, it's a fairly new term. It's only 30 to 40 years old. Hmm. Yeah. And like it's, but it's something that's so important because emotional intelligence is what allows us to put thoughts into words and actions. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it allows us to process the emotions. It uses emotions as data rather than directives, which is a big step to becoming self-aware, you know? Absolutely. Like if there's a specific thing that triggers you, and if you always get sad or if you always get mad or anxious, and if you don't think about it, it's going to happen again, you know? But if you if you become more mindful and think of like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm upset right now. Why am I upset? Yes. And if you focus on that, it allows you to, first off, not make any decisions that you might regret when it comes to the words or behaviors and actions that you're going to do. And it allows you to process your feelings and your emotions, which is important f- for you. Like, that's something you need to be more... In- in control of his emotions. Mm-hmm. I think that it reminds me a little bit about what is called like a cognitive triangle, which is a triangle that has like behaviors, actions, and how you're going to react. And it's always touching each other and always playing against one another. Um, you can have the same circumstance. For example, I don't know, uh, you're, gosh, what's an example? Somebody, oh, Let's say that you are in on campus in college and you see two friends and they are giggling as you're the one that's passing by. And uh, you're like, hmm, that looks a little weird. So you can have two reactions to that. You can say, oh, crap, I think they're talking about me. Like, what are they saying? That's not cool. I thought they were cool with me. Or you can say, hmm, I wonder what they're talking about. That looks a little fishy, but I'm going to approach them anyways to see what's going on. So that's something so simple that you can have complete different reactions to. And those reactions and behaviors are going to affect you because you could choose to not talk to them anymore because they look shady. Or you could think, no, I wonder what, what's going on and approach them and realize they weren't talking about you at all. And that, that itself is a pattern, right? That people can get, you know, when it comes to the way they think, like always thinking, oh, they're always talking about me definitely leads to. That's absolutely uh, something to be self-aware about because then that leads you to your thoughts which leads to your behaviors and how you're going to then lead to actions and how you're going to respond to any situation wow it's all tied yeah i know yeah i mean what's crazy also is that like this is a continuous process you know it's not it's there's no end game until you're no longer here like this is something that you could always work on absolutely no matter what the age is whether you're uh, the month old or you're 90 years old, our, our brain, our mind is so powerful and we all have that. And so it's just a matter of being self-aware to help yourself. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And um, I kind of want to go back to the whole like therapist and like picking a therapist thing or just like 
as a therapist, is there any advice you recommend clients and people like before going to therapists or is there, is there anything that like you, like you feel like people can be more prepared for before meeting up with a therapist? Um, I think just be open when you do come in to talk about things that are difficult for you to talk about, you know, maybe not absolutely not the first session because you're going to build that rapport and that relationship with your therapist, but you know, prepare yourself mentally to, Hey, I'm going to talk about this topic. That's difficult for me, but it's going to be in confidence. And so just, it's okay. And, you know, just work on allowing yourself to be able to be vulnerable. A lot of people don't like being vulnerable. If you're vulnerable, that means you can get hurt and people don't want to get hurt. Nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to get hurt. And so being vulnerable leaves the door open to getting hurt. And I think that's why so many people are guarded because they're trying to protect themselves and that's okay. But with certain people that you trust, being vulnerable is important for that relationship to continue to grow. And in therapy, if you are not a vulnerable person, you can learn to allow certain people in your life that you can be vulnerable with. Wow, that's really good. And um, yeah, I, I like that because definitely it, being vulnerable is something that, like, it takes strength, you know? It takes a lot of strength. I've had people in my personal life um, come and talk to me just because they know that I'm a therapist. So sometimes literally when I go like, well, not now with COVID, but when I used to go get a haircut or my nails done or something like that, I lie about what I do because I don't want people to start talking to me because I'm not working. Yeah. <laughs> and they always start talking to me about their personal stuff. And I, you know, I'm like, okay, if you want to talk to me, that's fine. But yeah, I don't want them to talk to me about their personal problems. So I just say that's, that I'm a receptionist. That is so funny because you, um, usually like when people go to like nail salons or get a haircut, like they're the ones who would probably be like, be the one talking. But if people know you're a therapist... Yes, then they start talking to me, and I don't want people to talk to me. That is so funny. <laughs> I get paid for people to talk to me. So when I'm outside of work, I don't want people to talk to me. But um, people have approached me, and friends, uh, relatives, about um, how it's hard for them to be vulnerable. And how, you know, how, I, how do I do it, being vulnerable? And being vulnerable is a strength. That is you being strong that is you putting yourself out there and um even with the thought of possibly getting hurt being vulnerable is important but do it wisely do it with the right people you don't want to be vulnerable with the wrong people so you have to be smart about it too but people have told me that being vulnerable is definitely a strength and that they want to learn how to be vulnerable because their immediate response is to be guarded Damn, yeah, that is that that is true. It, it's really hard to be vulnerable because there's a stigma behind vulnerable being a weakness, but no, it's not. Like like we said, it is a strength, you know, to be able to allow yourself to uh, to process this, but like process this in a way where you're talking about it. Because when you're talking about your problems and not just having everything in your head, you're putting thoughts into words. You know, it, it, like you you saying out loud allows you to process and hear it out loud, which is sometimes people don't do. People just leave it in their head. And sometimes it's hard to talk about it. You know, uh, you don't want to say the words because once you say the words, it's more real. The hurt can get wow. a lot stronger. That is true. So sometimes 
if you're going through a situation and actually talking about it, that means it's a fact. And talking about that fact can be embarrassing. It could be, you could be seen as weak. You could, people could see how, you know, hurt or unhappy you are with the situation that's going on. Um, And it's not easy. People have a really hard time even saying words that hurt them, a circumstance that hurt them. Um, It's not easy. And it's something very brave. And so in therapy, we always validate or sensitive. We take our time to make sure that people are ready to discuss their issues. Wow. I, uh, damn, that is, these are all very important things that people need to be more aware of and definitely being mindful and like allowing yourself to be mindful, you know, and don't be closed minded definitely is a process that people need to learn, you know, and it's something that's always continuous and just kind of understanding, like also, um, understanding how like therapy is uh, is a job as you like do you ever feel like do you ever catch yourself kind of therapizing like your your life outside of work oh absolutely ask my husband (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna tell you that i do that um i don't want to i you know in my personal life i i don't want to be a therapist but i'm that's what i do for a living and so it just happens. That's, you're always proce- that's how you're always processing. I'm always your, processing your brain is relationships and communication. And that's why I don't watch the news. Because when I watch the news, I care about what I'm watching. So I don't want to carry that with me too. You know, sometimes in treatment, when I have a client that's going through trauma, the way I explain it to my patients is, let's say that you have a backpack and that backpack is full of bricks. That's a really heavy backpack to carry around all the time. And in treatment and therapy, we're taking out one brick at a time so that eventually that backpack is empty. And then you're able to walk with your head held high, with your back straight, and you're able to just not have all that weight. And by weight, I mean symbolic weight of emotional weight of whatever it is that you had been Wow, that's that's true. I actually um in social media I did see this post that talked about how people just because someone knows how to carry their weight doesn't mean it's heavy, you know? And like kind of like carrying your carrying your weight though might be kind of mi- mixed with whether or not you're processing it or you're just keeping it together, you know? Like yeah. With traumas like especially when it comes to like like bottling and everything up, you know, keeping everything in a backpack, keeping everything in a water bottle, eventually it is going to explode. Absolutely. One way or another, it's going to explode. Uh, that's scary, you know, like, especially if you're not unaware, that's like a ticking time bomb right Absolutely. there. Absolutely, It's definitely a ticking time bomb and it does explode at one point or another. For example, let's say you're just doing something simple and somebody spills a glass of water on the table and for that you completely explode. A person that is at a calm state will not react in that manner over that simple circumstance. It's when you're bottling stuff up that then you react so uh, strongly to a situation that is very minimal. And that's something that you can check yourself on. Like, hey, am I doing that? Or is that how I react sometimes? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. That's just one example. All I'm saying is, 
everybody could benefit from, from mental health because we all have those patterns and or situations that we find ourselves stuck in over and over again. And by finding that self-awareness, maybe we can break that cycle, which will eventually make you healthier and happier. Regardless of who your relationships are in your life, we want you to be solid on your own. And that's how then you're able to make connections with other people. Yes. Like it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. You have to work on yourself before you let others um, before you try to f- worry about others, before you try to like improve others. And that's what a lot of people I feel like they struggle with is they worry about other people's happiness above their own. Absolutely. A lot of people do that. And it's it's unfortunate. I think I, I can relate to that too sometimes, you know, because we all have our loved ones, our relatives, our family, that we want them to be happy and we want them to be okay. But before we give and give and give, we have to take care of ourselves first. If not, you don't have anything to give. That is true. Um, that is really that's that's a really good point because uh, thinking about it, like a lot of what you say, also um, obviously when it comes to relationships and just communication, it 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 draws back to what I learned in communication. You know, because communication is very it, it's very general, but at the same time, it's very concentrated. It has to, what has to do with the way you express yourself. You know, and definitely. When it comes to relationships, people need to understand that in order, like uh, with toxic relationships, in order to like, like lean a step away from those toxic relationships, you need to focus into yourself. You need to look at what is, what about you, like makes you happy? What about you? It doesn't make you happy, you know? And it's like, it's a continuous process as like we've, as I said again, you know? Yeah. Or what about you leads you to have relationships with that type of a person? What kind of relationship do you have do you have a healthy relationship or do you have a toxic relationship and if you are leading towards a toxic relationship what is it about you that was attracted to that person and if you don't want to be attracted to a toxic person then what is it about you that you have to change to then open that lens to be able to give other people those same opportunities and be attracted to a different type of person yeah, I mean, like when it comes to all of this, is definitely really important to be mindful about it, you know? And just in general, what I did want to uh, also discuss just with mental health and abuse in general to keep in mind on is that usually if you went through any type of abuse, whether it was physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, a lot of survivors will follow the same pattern. So if you were, um, you know, physically abused when you were five, the chances of you physically abusing your child, there's a possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Absolutely not. But sometimes it does. And so in order for you to break that cycle of not doing it again, that's where you have to have that self-awareness. Same for sexual abuse. Unfortunately, that's a topic that is difficult to talk about, and a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about it. And unfortunately, it happens a lot. And unfortunately, that's why I have a job. And that's how I explain it to people. Unfortunately, that's why I have a job. And um, breaking that cycle is important. So if you're a victim of sexual abuse, therapy is highly important so that then we don't repeat that cycle, not necessarily having the sexual, you doing sexual abuse to somebody else, 
but having those positive relationships in your life that then you're not looking into those toxic relationships. Wow, that's really good. Um, also, I, I do remember you also asked, um, you have a hotline number that you can give out, right? Yes. So this is the child abuse hotline number, and it's 1-800-4-A-CHILD. So 1-800-422-4453. That's a hotline number that is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's always there. So if you at any point feel that any minor is in danger of getting hurt, uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect. For example, if you have a neighbor and you see that the parents are always out and the kids are home alone a lot and they're minors, that's a concern, you know? Any minor, especially under the age of 12, should not be left home alone. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of accidents can happen. So this hotline is a hotline that anybody could call. And the great thing about it, too, is that you can call anonymously. So you can call and say, um, you know, hey, this is what's happening. I don't know if it's true or not, but this is what I suspect. You don't have to know details. You just have to suspect that somebody might be in danger. And you can call and you can report it. And it's anonymous. So you don't have to be afraid of, oh, I don't want to get involved in a situation like that. I really want to stay out of it. You could. That is so good because especially right now, I feel like with COVID, with the stay-at-home order, everyone at home, the problems at home are probably becoming even more severe if there are problems at home. Absolutely. And that is amongst my colleagues and my other, the supervisors I work with, um, we've discussed that where with COVID, if there was domestic violence, there's more domestic violence. If there was a child that was being sexually abused with COVID, now they're home even longer with their perpetrator. They're longer, more hours. The the perpetrator might not be going to work. The child is at home a lot more, a lot more available. Um, And so, unfortunately, the, the rates have gone up with COVID because with COVID, people are stressed. It is what it is, whether it's financial stress or just... If you live in an apartment with a lot of people, you know, it's a stressful situation when everybody's home. Um, And so with stress, then comes all these other repercussions with abuse and violence. Yes. And when it comes to that, and like, don't be like, if whoever's listening to this feels like they know someone, or even if you're going through it as well, do not be afraid to call this number. Don't be afraid to just take action you know being a bystander is probably the um the most harmful thing you could do absolutely you know just it doesn't hurt you can call anonymously and if you're the one going through something whether let's say you're not a child but you're an adult um you know there's suicide rates also that have gone up so if you've ever had thoughts of hurting yourself or hurting your body please reach out you know there's suicide hotlines there's teen hotlines all you have to do is google it Everything is on the internet. Google it. They're free. They're available 24 hours a day. And guess what? It's also confidential. We're just here to help. If you are willing to just talk about what's going on, we're here to help. And that's the best advice I can give you. The fact that you're dedicating your life to help people is something that I appreciate. And I really hope people appreciate You know what you're doing with mental health, with marriage and family counseling, especially with child abuse, especially with child abuse. I want to thank you for that. You know, I'm pretty sure everyone who's listening 
is grateful for what you've done and what you're doing and for especially sharing what you know and your knowledge because this is definitely something that we need to normalize and talk about more because this is more important that people think you know when it comes to just being vulnerable when it comes to talking and processing your feelings everything is a process and people need to start looking to themselves you know like how can they improve themselves and a lot of times it's you can't really like it's not like something physical it's not like your body were like oh i'm a little overweight like i need to work on it when it comes to working on your mind it's really hard to find out how to do that Absolutely. It's not easy um, having that self-awareness, but even just basic things of whether you're happy or not happy or whether you see a situation happening around you, you know, that's where we react. That's where you call this number, where you, you know, talk about it so that we could try to help each other. And if every single person looks into themselves and thinks, hmm, what can I do to help? That makes a huge difference, you know, because unfortunately, abuse is happening all around us and I don't mean to put this all in a gloomy way but it's it's unfortunately a fact it happens and so I think uh, just if you are aware of any situation you know don't bother don't think twice about calling call because you might be saving a child's life or you might be saving a child from going through the sexual abuse one more time and we don't want that to happen we want every child to be safe and also any adult that's good and uh thank you for that i also want to thank you for being on this you know thank you again i really appreciate everything that you shared this is a really important it was really fun talking to you as an adult this is something that we don't do much and i'm happy to do it and i'd love to do it even more yeah no thank you for having me uh and when it comes to my field i'm always open to talk about it um you know the way i see it is helping kids is just so rewarding and it's something that I enjoy doing, and I get to keep children safe. So every little body that comes in in the clinic that I work at, uh, we're going to treat them as best we can to give them the ultimate care. And the point of all of that is to have every child safe. Have every child safe, every person. As, like This is the best, the best you can do, and that is what you're doing right now. So again, um, thank you for that. And thank you for having me. Thank you. And um, to those who are listening, thank you for staying to the end. Just sort of, um, if you haven't yet, please follow the social medias at Zenith underscore podcast. That's where you can catch, you can stay updated with episodes, with news. You can find me on Instagram, on Twitter soon. It'll be everywhere else. Just be, um, be patient. It's a process just like everything in life. And is there anything else you'd like to say? I mean, really just the message is, you know, all of you guys hearing us out there, just um, if you need help, just, you know, reach out a hand and we'll be there to try to help. Life is hard and you don't have to do it alone. Very powerful. Yes. So that is how you work on yourself. Don't be afraid to ask for help. That is definitely something please be mindful of. And until next time. You already know where you can find me at, the Zenith. Thank you.